Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Galatians 5, verse number 11. Bible says, And I, brethren, If I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross cease. Now, if Paul were to preach circumcision, you know who he would get off his back? The Jews. He would save himself persecution from the Jews. And if he preached circumcision, circumcision, then is the offense of the cross ceased. In other words, You know what bugged the Jews? The fact that salvation couldn't be found in them doing works of the law. So guess what the gospel became to them? An offense. And the gospel that we preach, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, will be an offense. If it's not an offense to this world, then we're not preaching the unadulterated gospel. It's impossible to share the right gospel without offending this lost and dying world. If what what we are doing, the world is praising, then what we are doing is not right. Because the world hates the gospel. The world's gospel is this, self-sufficiency. Our gospel is Christ. Sufficiency. The cross of Christ is sufficient. Go to 1 Corinthians 1. And in verse number 18. Ah, great, great truth. Verse number 18 will start for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that what? Believe. Not to save them that were water baptized. Verse number 17 sandwiches this thought. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. The gospel isn't water baptism. Verse number 21, to save them that what? Believe. We want believers. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now look at this last verse. But we preach Christ crucified under the Jews, a stumbling block. Why was it a stumbling block to the Jews? I gave you the answer earlier. It was a stumbling block because they couldn't draw salvation. Through their works of the law. So it was a stumbling. 
And then it says, and under the Greeks, foolishness. Why was it foolishness? They reject the gospel, not because they couldn't achieve it through the works of the law. They reject the gospel because they couldn't attain it through their own reasoning. So they reject it. The Jews, a stumbling block. The Gentiles, foolishness. See that? Gospel will offend. That's our first thought. You will either reject it because you want to attain it through your works or through your reasoning. So we get that. And now go to John chapter number three. John three. All this, all this has to do with the pride of man's heart. In John chapter number three, look at verse number 19. Bible says, John 3, 19, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You and I are not doing anything wrong when we openly preach the gospel. You are not doing anything wrong when you give someone a gospel track or you try to talk to somebody about the Lord. All you are doing is shining light into this dark world. If they get upset at you, we know why. Because their deeds were evil and the gospel, the light of Christ, is just exposing who they are. People are living in darkness. Verse 21, for everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest what? His deeds should be reproved. It's going to offend people. You're not going to get away from it. Unless you do what America has turned Christianity into. Which is this. You talk to people as if they are not condemned sinners under the wrath of Almighty God. And when you do that, you're not preaching the gospel because you're not causing the world to be offended by that truth. They have dumbed down the gospel. They have taken away the offense. That's not the gospel of Christ. You must preach to that person as a condemned sinner or we're not preaching the gospel. That is why people get offended. But we must do it. Go to John chapter 15. If they're living in darkness and you want them out of darkness, you must approach them as a condemned sinner. Well, if I do that, they will hate me. John 15, verse number 18. If the world hate you, Ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, that's the pride of the Christian. We think, well, we're so special, nobody should be mean to us. Nobody should hate us. And we're kind of okay with people hating our Savior because, well, he's our Savior and he saved us. And, well, it's Jesus. He can handle 
if they hated Christ, what do you think they're going to do with you? Just get ready for it. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. This is why when people complain about carnal Christianity and these churches have just gone totally carnal, it's because they brought the world into the church. And nobody that's lost really has much of a problem with that. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hated you. Make sense? If you want a big crowd, bring 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 a bunch of food and bring deliverance and healing. I mean, you, you think about the crowds that Jesus drew. 5,000 come to eat. Pick up your cross and follow me. Well, Jesus ended up with 12. The crowd gets smaller as truth becomes more evident. Big ministries getting built now. Big things. Deliverance, deliverance, healing, healing. But not of not of God. It's of man's showmanship. Big crowds. How do you get rid of the big crowd? <laughs> you declare unto them sinners. You are spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer God. I am speaking to you. I am speaking to you to warn you of the impending doom of the wrath to come. You're a condemned sinner. And then the crowds, it, it disperses. Because people don't want to be talked to as someone who is spiritually bankrupt. But if you do not help that sinner see that they are spiritually bankrupt, you're going to leave that conversation and they're going to think that they're okay. You can't do that. We can't do that as gospel witnesses. Mark, you don't have to turn there, but the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. You tell somebody to repent. What does that mess with? Their pride. You need to repent. That messes with a man's pride. You ever tell your kids you need to get right? You need to quit that. You need to. Re- you're telling them. You're, you're you're telling them to repent. Hey, get right. They don't like that. When you preach a gospel of repentance, you are requiring that man or that woman to own their pride. God is love, and he commendeth his love toward us. He he loved us as his enemies. God expects us to love our enemies and his enemies. We're not loving them when we don't warn them of what's to come. In Proverbs 3, it says, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. Now, lowly is the opposite of lofty. You're lowly, not lofty. You're low, not not high. And you hold yourself high, 
God's going to hold you in extreme contempt. And he says, and it says, surely he scorneth the scorners. That's what scorners do. They hold somebody in contempt. That's what God does to those that scorn him. He scorns the scorner. He holds their scorn in contempt. James 4, 6, it parallels that Proverbs passage. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So here is where we're going to go tonight with this thought. The posture that someone needs to receive the gospel in is a posture of humility, not pride. Go to Mark chapter number nine. We'll look at a few examples that parallel each other. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. What it says, and he came uh, to Capernaum, that's Mark 9, Mark 9, 33. And being in the house, he asked them, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and sat him in the midst of them. They're fighting over positioning of who's going to be the greatest. Tell me that's not a hot air balloon of pride. And Jesus is addressing this situation by sitting down a child. These are grown men. And Jesus has to use a child to illustrate and to teach them, man, you fellows are way off. And now watch what he says. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, here's what Jesus says. Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. So you must receive Christ. We see that. And whoever shall receive me. Receiveth not me. But him that sent me. Which would be God the father. Jesus claimed equality. Rightfully so with the father. We serve a triune God. Like we sang about. Uh, uh, for the love of God. That him. So. He's using a child. To teach these men. Humility. And it's illustrating the truth that we need to understand. You cannot receive Christ. Does it say, you, does it say that Jesus wants you to receive him in that passage? It does. But you can't receive him if you have a position of and a posture of pride which is why he brought in the little child. He is, he is attempting to change their posture and their attitude toward how they would receive him. Go to Luke. We'll see the parallel passage. Chapter 9, Luke 9. And look at verse 46, Luke 9, 46. 
Luke 9, 46. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be greatest. You got a bunch of kids and you put them together, they're going to fight for position. Who's going to be the best? Who's going to be the greatest? But these are adults doing this. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a child and set him by him. You know, most children, and this is why Jesus is using a child, have a heart to please their father. Have a humble heart before their dad. And so Jesus bringing a child in to help these men. And then uh, it says in verse 48, and said unto them, whosoever shall receive this child in my name, receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth him that sent me. For he that is least among you all, the same shall be great. You know what I see in that passage? Receive, receive it, receive, receive it. And I saw it four times in the Mark passage. That tells me that Jesus is telling us that we are able to receive him through a decision that we make. Unless we call Jesus a liar. But he said, if you want to receive me, you can. You can't receive him if what? What's this? What's he teaching? us? If you don't come with the humility of a young child, it will be impossible. It will be impossible. Go back to Matthew. We'll look at one more and move on. Because I think we'll get the point. But I do want to look at the Matthew passage. Because Matthew gives us the word used that we're talking about. Matthew 18. Verse number three. Jesus says, he calls a little child on them, set him in the midst of them. And he says in verse number three, verily I say unto you, except ye be converted. And become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're not going to get into that. We did plenty of messages. We have Luke and we have Matthew, it's a Jewish audience. It's a kingdom of heaven. Jesus is preaching uh, to two crowds. There's a Jewish crowd and a non-Jewish crowd. And Luke talks about kingdom of God. Kingdom of heaven only shows up in Matthew. So just a note on that. We're not going to go down that trail, but there's a distinction uh, that is there. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of God. What's the word we found? Humble. How many of you think you need to work on humility? Put your hand up like I'm putting my hand up. Yeah, if you don't, I'll think you're private. <laughs> and look, humility is one of those things that we know we should have. And any of us would come and teach or preach or um, try to help somebody with that. And, and we'd be right in doing it. And as we do that, 
we realize we need some more of it too. It's a posture that must be assumed before someone can receive Christ. But make no mistake about it. Christ can be received. And whoso, in verse number five, shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. Now, if you, okay, just imagine being there. Jesus, he's got a bunch of adult men, adults. And he's going to teach them a lesson on humility. So he brings in a child. And he's basically saying, this child is more humble than you felt. Imagine being, you're, you're an adult man. And Jesus is insulting you by saying, you're not even as humble as a child. Like, now that messes with a man's pride. Doesn't it? Now, some kids might think that's a pretty good object lesson if they were being used and one of their parents was in the crowd that Jesus, it's that. Think how that parent would feel. Oh man, I just got it. Jesus just let me have it. He's breaking down their And if someone is going to receive Christ, it's not just, hey, repeat this prayer. It's you're going to have to humble yourself because until someone takes that posture, they're not receiving Christ. The gospel's promise of eternal life is only activated through faith when someone assumes a humble position. It explains why we talked about last week, the devils also believe and tremble. Do you think they're getting rid of their pride? No. So they will never receive Christ. Yes, they have an intellectual belief, but they don't have a posture of humility. So here's the, what's the next logical question? Okay, well then what makes a humble spirit? Calvinism would tell you that you must be received first before you can then believe humbly by faith. Calvinism will tell you that you need to be regenerated first before you can come with a posture of humility and then believe and receive. Now, I don't believe that. I'm asking you to not believe that. I'm going to give you some reasons why, and I want to get a good character of this posture of humility. What humbles a sinner? Look, I'm with you. You say, preacher, I'm with you. Okay, they, they, need, to, they need to be humbled. How? There's two ways. One is the seed of the Word of God. This is why we teach the Bible. The preaching of the gospel is designed to posture your heart if you're not saved. Or whoever you're witnessing to, it's designed to posture their heart to be humble. So they, they can then believe the gospel. Because until they are humbled, they might agree with some intellectual facts. It's preaching proud scorners 
to a posture of humility. And the seed of the word, it could lie dormant in someone's heart for a long, long time. A long time. Man has the truth. He can hold it in unrighteousness. And as man does that, he will keep himself or herself so distracted with countless hobbies and countless amusements so that he never has to deal with the truth that God has put in every man's heart through conscience, through creation, through a gospel witness. But the seed of the word is planted. I have planted, Apollos watered, but who gives the increase? That be God. That be God. Let tough times hit somebody. Let financial hardship come. Or let death knock on one of their family or friend's door. And you know what's going to have a little bit of germination? The seed of the word that was planted. So don't think it's all a waste when you preach the word to someone or you spend time for an hour or two with somebody going through the gospel with them and they don't get saved. What happened was the seed of the word was planted in them. You ever hear somebody say, you've heard these terms before. Well, God, I heard God speak to me. It's just something in my heart. I felt like, I felt like God dealt with me. Uh, I felt like God was warning me. You know what that is? That, that's not regeneration. That person didn't get saved. But you know what that is? That's a posturing of humility. That's that seed of the word. Starting to germinate again. The other thing that goes hand in hand with this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will humble a sinner. And it will use the seed of the word that was planted to help do a few things to that man's conscience. We see in John 6, the Holy Spirit will draw. In John chapter 15, it, the Holy Spirit will testify of Christ. And in John 16, the Holy Spirit will reprove. It's God's word and the Holy Spirit that when <laughs> that will convict a sinner's heart and soften their heart. You ever hear them say, hey, you know, you just need to preach and get out of the way, or you just need to give them um, you need you need to get out of the way and make sure you give them the gospel. You've heard sayings like that, moving yourself out of the way and and making sure they're just getting through. That's the offense to them. But you should. Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Now, go to Romans 1. How many of you get upset when somebody blasphemes God or speaks uh, disrespectfully about God? Okay, you should have your hand up. If not, I'd be concerned. Yeah. You would not like that. I don't like that. But hear me out on this. Understand this. This lost and dying sinners must respond disrespectfully 
to God. They must. That's why they're sinners. They know they're guilty. Because they're guilty, they have to disrespect our God. They must do that. As pride-hardened, hateful sinners before a holy God. They have to. Romans chapter number one, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. When somebody wants to debate with you about, give me as much evidence as you can that God is real, don't have the debate. Point them to Romans 1. They know God showed them truth. You don't have to be on the defensive trying to answer all their questions. Just bring them to this verse. You know what that is? A hardened sinner rebelling against the truth of God. They have to do it. They have to. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Now, if your child said to you, well, I don't want to put anything in anybody's head, but I guess I'll do it anyway. <laughs> oh, it's the, it's the invisible man. I think there's somebody in my closet. I think there's somebody. No, it's just a kid. You, you would say, you would say, son, daughter, stop. You're, you're fine. You're fine. You're making stuff up in your head. Your imagination has run wild. But isn't this a curious verse? Jesus, God says that Invisible things are clearly seen. Isn't that something? You see, in our human thinking, we would say, hey, stop worrying about the boogeyman. Stop worrying about the dark. Nobody's in there. There's nothing to be afraid of. Nothing's there. But God says there's invisible things that can clearly be seen. And that lost person has to reject what is clearly seen that can't be seen because it's invisible. You will not look God puts it in every man. He's, he's given light, enough light to every man, man to know who he is. Being understood by the things that are made. You can look out in creation, know there's a creator, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are what? Without excuse. So without you and without me showing up, they're what? Without excuse. When you show up, that hardened heart, that prideful heart has to bow up against God and his truth. They have to do it. You still must speak to them as condemned, bankrupt sinners. Spiritually bankrupt sinners. You've got to. You have to deal with the pride. Because until they take a posture of humility, all is lost. 
Isaiah 66, you don't have to turn there, but it talks about even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Now, do you think this is what you think somebody, the only people that can come to God are those that are financially poor? No. But you've got to see yourself as spiritually poor. That's the thing. That's the humbling posture. Until they come to God spiritually poor, they are not in a posture of humility. So what does God say when they are like that? Do you give them grace? No. You give them law. You give them condemnation. You give them wrath. You show them that they're a sinner before a holy God. And the minute you see a hint of humility, now you give them a little bit of grace. Why? Because grace means nothing to a proud sinner. You need to look for a posture of humility and then some grace. Because no, nobody that has a posture of pride gets saved. They have to see themselves as spiritually poor. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time. I'll read you these verses. In Luke 7, um, it says, How that the blind see, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And then it says, To the poor, the gospel is preached. You think Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, fellas, stay away from the rich neighborhoods. No. Someone that sees themselves as spiritually poor can receive Christ. In, in Luke 6, it says he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So same idea. It's not try to make yourself poor. It's, it's see yourself as spiritually bankrupt. Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. It's the same idea. Matthew eleven twenty five. 25, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from who? The wise and the prudent. And has revealed them unto babes. God hides things from the wise and the prudent. What did he do with the men that were proud? He brought in a child. And he taught them. A posture of humility. He hides things from the wise and prudent. And has revealed them unto babes. Humble babies. They don't talk back. They can't wait for daddy and mommy. They're humble. It's that posture the Lord is trying to get us to see in our witnessing efforts. Is the person a humble babe or are they a wiseacre know-it-all? Have you ever run into a wiseacre? They just know everything. Smartest guy in the room, smartest gal in the room. Just God doesn't want that. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Is this person heavy laden? Are burdens lifted at Calvary, or are they just so strong they just carry their own burdens? I'm just self sufficient. Is Jesus very near? Or is it, hey man, I got it, I got it. It's a posture. It's a position. John 7 says in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. If you're not thirsty, what are you not looking for? You're not. You're not looking for living water. When you preach, the gospel, whether it's one-on-one, just pick the medium, it don't matter. Your job is to get them to move from a posture of pride to a posture of humility. So that they would be thirsty. Have you heard the saying about horses? You can lead a horse to water, but what? But you can't make him drink. But what can you do to make him thirsty? Put some extra salt in his oats. Now he's thirsty. Same idea, just with a sinner. If they're not thirsty, there's no posture of humility. All right, two final thoughts. Get Matthew 23 and Luke 8, and then we'll be done. Matthew 23, we'll do first. Matthew 23, and get Luke 8 at the same time. Matthew 23, verse number 27, Bible says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto who? Men. This world is consumed with man worship. Sports are set up like that. Entertainment is set up like that. The music industry is set up like that. The movie industry is set up like that. And God help us, there's a lot of so-called churches set up like that. Man worship. Outwardly trying to impress men. But inside, dead bones. We can't be afraid to rebuke like Jesus did man worship. And if somebody's not following Christ, don't follow. Jesus is not against following someone. He's against following someone who isn't following him. (laughs) Okay, so there's there's a clear rebuke. Jesus lets these Pharisees have it. But within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Okay, last thought. So that was, you got to rebuke any type of man worship. And then Luke 8 says this, verse number 15. 
We like the rebuking part. You know, we like letting people have it. But watch this one. I want to balance it out with this thought. Put that on the good ground. This is Luke 8, verse number 15. Put that on the good ground are they. This is where the seed, good seed, good ground. Which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, kept it, and bring forth fruit with patience. You know what you're going to need? Along with the rebuking and along with the offensive gospel and along with the world hating you, you and I are going to need some patience. Because the crop ain't going to come up real quick. God's word is designed to convict before it converts. Try not to put, you don't put the cart before the horse because of impatience. I want to see more people saved just like you do. But God's word has to convict before it converts. You've got to allow the word, you have to allow the word to do its job. The soil has to be prepared. And the preparing of the soil is what makes someone's heart ready to receive Jesus Christ, ready to receive the gospel. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.